For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Almost live from the trenches of New York City, here are your middle-aged warriors, Chris Cimino and Rick Summers. And welcome back to another edition of Believe in Middle-Aged Warriors on the Believe Podcast Network. I am Chris Cimino, alongside... Rick Summers. Yes, and we are practicing safe distancing right yes, now. Yes, we are. But we are together again in the same room. You know what? We were young when we started, and now we're middle-aged warriors. <laughs> Certainly feel that way. My hair yeah. is growing about a foot and a half. Oh, uh, I know. As, as My yours. hair has not been this long since I was like 16, and I look back at high school pictures. Yeah, it's crazy. There's a little more gray in it now. Though. Well, we're not going to bring up that point, but... Uh, <laughs> But I'm hopefully going to get this this mop on top of my head cut very soon. We're slowly, slowly but surely coming uh, out of this and and trying to take baby steps uh, to return back to some degree of normalcy, I guess we can call it, Rick. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't think we'll ever go back to where it was. No. Um, And I was reading an article last week that said something about um, coronavirus is going to be with us for the rest of our lives in some way, shape, or form. Sure. Well, and, the, and Chucho agrees with you. And Chucho agrees. I had a feeling he was going to make a, an appearance. He missed us. He missed you, Rick. That's <laughs> yes, what he is. did. So, but yeah, I mean, well, any of these viruses, uh, they do, they're here forever. They're, they're part of the planet now. What happens is, obviously, we build up a resistance, uh, which takes time. It takes time through exposure and takes time through vaccinations. So we're still, yeah, we're still a ways away from this not being out there somewhere, uh, and I'm sure being being in the news and in headlines to a degree, probably for, like you said, maybe some years to come. I don't think to this extent, I hope. <laughs> have, Let's hope. have you lost track of time? Well, yeah. I mean, we were talking when, when I saw you, you know, when you first came here today, realizing it's been three months since I've actually physically seen you. Now we Zoom, we Skype, right. we FaceTime, so it doesn't feel quite as far. I've totally lost sense of I, I don't know where March and April went. It's ah, now the end of May. We're heading to June. You're right. I ha- it's a warp. It's a very strange dream. You realize, like, 4th of July is, like, six weeks yeah, away. It's or right five weeks corner. away. It's unbelievable. I mean, the only good thing is, you know, I've been able to, in my neighborhood, it's very tree-lined. There are a lot of parks around. So I've gone almost daily with my girlfriend. We go on these long walks and hikes. And that's reminding me that, oh, yeah, it's spring. Now it's getting a little warmer. Oh, yeah, we are heading towards summer. Because that's about it. You know, the, the limitations that are marking time with this virus are tremendous. And so you don't really have a sense of where are we exactly in, in, in time right now. But anyway, let's move along to what we've got coming up for today. We have a very special guest. And I have to be honest, I, I worked with this person many years ago. When, I, when he sent me his resume, I started reading through it. it First of all, it was about 12 pages long. It's a little, it's a little daunting. <laughs> it is not. He has lived a life that if this was the resume of five individuals, those five individuals would have had a great life yeah, if they really. just broke it up. 
<laughs> you know, he's a five-time New York Emmy Award winner. He's reviewed over 15,000 movies, 900 Broadway and off-Broadway plays. Wow. Nearly 500 actors. He's written or co-authored over eight books. He's co-hosted movie review shows on PBS, MSNBC, NBC, where I met him back in 1996. He's lectured right. also on baseball trivia, believe it or not, at the Smithsonian and at the Baseball Hall of Fame, I think, three or four times. It's incredible. He's an interesting dude. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. He keeps going. Uh, I, I'll let him say, you know, maybe if he wants to mention his age. But uh, he's he's older than both of us. Yeah. He might be past being a middle-aged warrior, but he still is a middle-aged warrior. As far as I know, I think up until last year, uh, he's a big baseball fan. Yeah. But he is a good athlete himself. And uh, he was I know he was playing softball in Central Park on a team. I think up until a year or two ago, he may still be doing it. I'm not really sure. Obviously not this year. So uh, we just wanted to do a little, a little preview, a little intro, let you know where we are right now. And we hope everybody out there is safe. But I guess uh, without further ado, let's get to our guest. All right. Well, it's time for our special guest. We've uh, talked about him quite a bit. And we were talking about how uh, looking at this resume... It looks like it's the resume of about five or six very successful people, not one person. But it, here he is, the one and only uh, friend of mine as well, Jeffrey Lyons. Welcome to Middle Age Warriors, and thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. You know, people don't know this, but you're separated at birth from George Clooney. Nobody knows. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you actually had him as a guest twice and uh, brought him over to me. I was in the Weather Center, the other side of the studio where you were doing your show, Real Talk. And, and he said to me, where have you been? Yeah, exactly. Where, where you been? It's been so long. But the point about that is uh, George came over and we were actually a couple of times had some really nice conversation. We both had some connection to Cincinnati, too. So obviously that's where he's from and his family. And I had worked there for a while, but uh, he couldn't have been nicer. There goes Jeffrey. He's got me in a tangent already. But first, first things first, how are you holding up? How's the family? How's everybody doing? Everybody's fine. Um, our daughter is a top chef at a very popular restaurant in Brooklyn mm -hmm. and she's doing takeout orders. And it's almost as if they haven't missed a beat the whole time. Really? Uh, it's so popular. It's a, it's a place called St. Anselm. And it was always, they didn't take it back when you could come in. They didn't take reservations. It's always jammed. And she's been doing that and she's fine. And our son is out in uh, Pasadena and he's doing okay too. He's an ESPN radio anchor and he's got some movie projects going. So uh, we're all waiting for all of this nightmare to end. Yeah, I mean. There's no baseball. Well, that's the thing. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, you'd appreciate who we had on our last show uh, from Cincinnati and as a New York Met, though as a Red Sox fan, you may not appreciate, uh, John Franco was our guest last week. Appeared in more games than, uh, than almost any other. I mean, the fact that he was a yeah. lefty also prolonged his career. Because if you're a yeah. left-handed relief pitcher, uh, that, and I don't know how this new rule is going to affect that where you have to face three batters before they change it again, which I think is a stupid rule. It, it, there are other ways to uh, speed, up the, speed up the game, but no catcher's visits to the mound. You know, you have to you throw singles. No pitchers, uh, pitching coaches come to the mound, that kind of stuff. But anyway, he was, he was fine. Started out with the Reds and then finished with the Mets. Right, right, right. Or actually finished with the Houston Astros. He did. You know, who's, you know, speaking of Met relievers, do you know the pitcher who's appeared in more games than anybody? Jesse Orozco. That's, that was going to be my guess. I was doing my Bob Murphy. That's right. He appeared in the most important game. I don't want to talk about that. And never Sorry. <laughs> we will in a little bit. But what a lot of people may not know, I mean, Jeffrey is first and foremost well-known 
for being a, a movie critic, uh, Broadway plays. We talked about it a little bit before, Jeffrey, that you have reviewed more than 15,000 movies, spoken to almost or yeah. interviewed 500 actors. I don't remember them all. I hope not. <laughs> you know, one day Anthony Quinn was sitting with his family and, you know, Anthony Quinn was played every sort of ethnicity, everything. And they were watching and he saw a move, an old movie and they said, oh, look, there's young Jackie Gleason. Dad, there you are. He had no memory of, oh. and then Bob Pope would look at his old movies and said, I see a son there I never knew I had, you know. <laughs> so I've, I've seen 50, I've seen on or, on or uh, in whole or apart about 30,000 movies. And uh, I know about My certain goodness. other movies. And know. over 900 Broadway, off-Broadway plays as well. Something like that, yeah. So with, with that in mind, what was, this is a tough question because you've, again, interviewing over 500 uh, top-notch actors and actresses. Uh, what was your favorite interview? Well, I've interviewed Michael Caine six or seven times, mm -hmm. actually more often than that. You don't need, I don't need notes anymore. And Kirk Douglas, who, who was an old family friend, knew my dad back in the 40s, and he and I corresponded for years. Uh, I adored Kirk. And uh, real name, Isser Danielovich, as you may know. And always friendly, always uh, different stories. And one time, <laughs> one of the first interviews I did for him was a radio interview. It was 1973. The Mets were playing the Reds. Mm -hmm. And the TV was on in the background. And it was the game where Bud Harrell, Buddy Leo Harrelson got in a fight with, with, with Pete Rose. And we stopped the interview and watched the whole fight. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that. And I took my wife, the first time I met her, to a screening of a movie called Light at the Edge of the World with Kirk Douglas and Ewell Brenner. And I said to him, if, and I told him that, I said, oh, this is a very special memory to me. And he says, if you ever mention that movie again, I'm going to punch you. And then he was a delight. You know, he and his wife gave 400 uh, playgrounds to inner city uh, parks in wow. Los Angeles. Wow. He's a great man. And I, I, I miss him. Yeah. And Michael and I are old, old friends. Not good friends, but old friends. I have a question, which is the converse. The other side of that is a forgettable interview. A disaster. No, no, I'll, I'll tell you, I won't tell you a forgettable interview, but I'll tell you the, some of the most difficult interviews. Uh, Robert Mitchum and Robert De Niro. Uh, De Niro, put a script in front of De Niro and you get one of the great actors of our time. Yeah. If you ask him to be in a conversation. He's just not good at that. Mm. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones was a bit of a mountain to climb, but once I get, I, I prided myself on doing really, really, really in-depth interviews, questions they'd never been asked. How did you know that? And I said, I come prepared, that's why. And that opens up actors. But if you don't have that, it's, it's tough. Uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins, before he dried out, recovering alcoholic, used to drive around the country by himself, which is a little weird. And he was, impossible yes no answers they didn't understand but of all the people who are one of the best people i ever interviewed was mark hamill really of star wars what are you going to ask him about other things he did a few other movies coronet blue and all that he was great and, and i ran into him in, a, in the whole food store one time and near columbus circle and i said by the way it's been about 30 years but oh yeah that was great i said you were great he said it was like when i arrived on the set of Star Wars, and Sir Alec Guinness said to me, I don't want to talk about my career, young man. I want to talk about your career. He wow. said, what can, I, what, what, what can I tell him? My mother, the car, uh, <laughs> stuff like that. You know? So he was, he was great. Betty Davis was wonderful. I had a week, weekend to prepare for that. A weekend I had to go to a family wedding in Massachusetts. This is long before the internet. 
and I brought all my f movie books with me and I told the bride and the groom and they all understood that after the reception, I, I went out, went down in the basement and had all the books ready and, and just killed myself. Wrote, got six pages of questions and she said, how long do you want my answers to be? This is old studio talking. Wow. And she was magnificent. I did a full hour with her and, it and I, I just treasure that memory. That's awesome. Now, uh, in terms of what was the toughest get? Like who was a, a who was a lewd like that you wanted to get and they were just so hard to nail down for a minute. Biggest star Jude Law. I was told, oh, he doesn't do interviews. Well, I let 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 them and and I had the reputation of this guy knows his stuff and he came down and did it. I did Robin Williams three times and uh, he was we had a, a very dear mutual friend. One of my oldest and dearest friends is Conrad Janis, who played Mindy's father on Mork and Mindy. And we traveled in Spain together, and he's a musician. And 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 his father, his father discovered Jackson Pollock was a famous art dealer. And Robin was great. He went in. And, remember, when we come on the Tonight Show, he dressed in these horrible jackets and these intentional. He put on a sedate jacket and tie for me, and did eight minutes of just brilliant shtick. You know, when the Pope was ailing, he he would lie down and say, "I'm falling and I can't get up," and do the Pope. <laughs> And Mel Brooks knew my dad for, my dad was a Broadway columnist. He wrote, not a gossip column, as you know, he wrote the iconic Broadway. I wrote two books about his era. And Mel Brooks was just great. He, he, he was, fantastic. I've interviewed him a couple of times, first with Anne Bancroft and then with him. And, and he was hilarious and just, I adore him. Yeah, my, my, in fact, my next question was going to be leading toward your, toward your dad because you know, he was so popular and was so connected to so many people in the industry uh, of all levels of entertainment and then some politics too. And growing up in that environment, did you, did you feel like this is a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm in a very unique family. No, I didn't wish I had, but it would have robbed me of my innocence. One night in 1950, my parents gave a party for Ethel Barrymore, who, who if you're not old enough to know, she was one of the great actresses of stage and screen. And one day she was sitting uh, with my father at Sardi's restaurant and she overheard people at the next table say, oh, there's a great play at the Barrymore Theater. She said, excuse me, it's the Ethel Barrymore Theater. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I woke up, my brothers and I, I had three brothers. I woke up and I heard the grown-ups in the living room. I was about six and I walked in and I looked around and the only person I recognized cowering in fear in the corner was Joseph Paul DiMaggio of Martinez, California. And oh there's a light in the room. And I walked past all the guests and everybody, oh, look, he's got a little bathrobe on. I said, Mr. DiMaggio, you're the best guest here. 35 years later at Shea Stadium when the Yankees were playing there, he called me over. First of all, I was thrilled that he recognized me. Right. And he said, would you still say that? I said, <laughs> now I got a list of the people who were there that night who I so cavalierly dismissed in our living room. Ernest Hemingway, Adlai Stevenson, oh. Marlene Dietrich, Nobody's. Edward G. Robinson, and I think wow. Fred Astaire, none of whom could hit a curveball. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you would think I grew up, up a Yankee fan, but no, not quite. Yeah, I was going to get yeah. to that also. But you told me a story many years ago. Uh, who did you teach or try to teach how to bunt in Central Park? Richard Burton. <laughs> and Sybil was a friend of mine for 50 years, his first wife. Sybil's one of the couple of people you meet in your life. When they walk into a room, they just light up the place, not because they're gregarious, just because they have a charisma and you just will never forget them. Another one was a woman I knew and adored named Midge Turk. Midge Turk was a nun for 30 years and gave it up 
and became editor-in-chief of uh, Glamour magazine. Wow. I Talk about an opposite world. Yeah. And she came to New York, and, and I adore her. When she came to New York, she sat next to, she was waiting at Sardi's for somebody and said, well, you can wait in. So she sat down next to Alan King, and she said, and what do you do? So, and, and, and by the way, before, before I get to Alan King, before I forget, Alan King was in a movie, he made a couple of movies, and one of them was opening in London, and they were going to have a red carpet uh, command performance with the Queen. And they said, remember, don't talk unless she talks to you first. Yeah. And she said, nice to meet you, Mr. King. And he said, likewise, Mrs. Queen. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. What were you going to say? How about favorite ball player you ever met? Well, Joe DiMaggio, because was a family friend, came, came to my bar mitzvah, came to my brother's wedding and said, you know, George, I'm missing a doubleheader today. And my brother said, so am I, Joe, so am I. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, Yaz, Carl Yastrzemski, Carl Michael Yastrzemski, and Dwight Evans. I have a wonderful uh, in with the Red Sox, and my friend's the Red Sox announcer, and I've gone to spring training 15 years, and I don't want to be a hanger-on, but I, I, you know, you, you get access, and I've become friends with, with Joseph Michael Morgan, the Red Sox manager, one of the great people I've ever known, one of the wisest people I've ever known. Dwight Evans is a courtly gentleman. Uh, I love those guys. So I know I'm going to think of somebody else. Oh, oh uh, uh, Don Baylor, I, I, I really liked. Uh, Rich Hill is a friend, you know. So how did this happen? You grew up in New York. Uh, Joe DiMaggio's in, in your home, but you become a Red Sox fan. I, because, I, can tell you, I almost became a Red Sox fan, but you tell your story. Because in the 17th century. <laughs> yes. The philosopher Blaise Pascal no relation to Camilo Pasquale, the old twin pitcher, said the heart has reasons that reason itself knows nothing about. Why do you love who you love? Why do you have a favorite color? You don't want to, you don't want to explain it. If you could explain why you love someone, it takes away some of the mystique of it. My brother was a Red Sox fan. I guess I looked up to my brother, but it was, it was one of the life-changing moments of my, of my uh, so-called life. No, because you brought up a particular player. My, my memory of baseball, my first exposure to watching baseball, I think I was five, six years old. It was the 1967 World Series, the Red Sox against the Cardinals. Impossible dream team. And Carl Yastrzemski was, that was his, his triple crown winning year. And uh, restored the franchise. They were getting 300,000 people for a year, something like that. No attendance. He brought it back. He really? saved the franchise. Absolutely. And I remember watching that World Series and I fell in love with Yaz and the way he played and the Red Sox and now, my parents are both Brooklyn Dodger fans, and when they moved out of town, they just totally nixed baseball. And all of a sudden, I have this interest, and I remember we were in, it was called a dairy or a milk farm, it was like a deli, and I think it was Levy Bread Company, had this bread called Yaz. And, I, and I'm telling my mama, Ma, we, we had to get that. She's what are you talking about? It's Yaz. Yaz what? Call Yastrzemski. She's like, you watching baseball? I'm like, yeah. And I told her I was into the Red Sox. She goes, no, 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 no. We're going to be nationally. We're going to take it from that game. <laughs> who were their favorite? You're getting the DH in the National League, by the way. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I don't, I don't want right. to see Ryan Duran up there hitting 119. <laughs> I'm just picking one of the worst hitters in baseball. Hank Aguirre, Sandy Koufax, terrible hitters. By the way, your parents were, were, were fervent Brooklyn Dodger fans? Yeah. Okay, you remember Phil Foster? He was the comedian who built himself as Brooklyn's ambassador to the world. Right. 1956, he recorded the following song. Let's keep the Dodgers in Brooklyn. A house is not a home without some heart. Let's keep them on the premises. L.A. will be their nemesis because Brooklyn needs the Dodgers. Uh, oh, Mr. Walt, 
Dr. O'Malley, we used to call you Pally. It's a wonderful song. It's available on YouTube. Hey, Jeff, I have a question for you. So you've seen baseball across America. Favorite ballpark uh, besides Fenway Park? Uh, uh, boy, that's a good question. I love Dodger Stadium. I was there a couple of years ago. And I met, I was in the press booth. You know, I sit in the press box. Uh, it's a nice perk. And I met Fernando Valenzuela. I said, you faced Nolan Ryan. 15 times and he never struck you out more than anybody. I speak Spanish, so I did it in Spanish. He was thrilled. That I <laughs> right. And I Jaime Jarin, who was the Dodgers longtime uh, uh, announcer on the Spanish network. Dodger Stadium is absolutely beautiful. I've been to Wrigley, been to the old Comiskey, the new Comiskey. I've been to the Jake, or it used to be called Jacobs Field in Cleveland. I've been to the old Cleveland Park, been to the, the launching pad in Atlanta. I've uh, been to uh, Mile High Stadium when the Rockies first played. Then I went to their new stadium. But I, I'd say I like, I like Wrigley. Some of the things. Also, you judge some of these games by their restrooms, right? Oh, gosh. Uh, Wrigley? Fenway, yeah, and Fenway, for, for, the, for the men's urinals, they're troughs. Trough, yes. Uh, and the guy behind you starts singing, Dale, Dale. And, I'm telling and you, it's very cramped. In, but I walked in and I walked out. <laughs> where was that? In Fenway. In Fenway? Yeah, yeah then, then, you know, but the, I, I, I like them all. I mean, some I, some I, I went to Riverfront Stadium, which, which I, has no charm at all. Yeah. A lot of them. Yeah. Did you ever go to Candlestick? No, no. Do you know that they showed Walter O'Malley? And I used to own one quarter of one share of the San Francisco Giants. My brother, <laughs> the other, we own one share in the family. They showed, they showed the, um, they showed Candlestick Park to uh, Horace Stoner and they showed it to him in the daytime. And at night, it goes down to about 30, 35 degrees. Yeah. You no. Know, have you been there? Was it like that? You know what? I was there when I was seven years old. So this would have been 1967. My dad was a, a, a Bronx kid, but a huge Brooklyn Dodger fan. And so we did the National League. We went to Candlestick. We went to Dodger Stadium in 1967. Um, and Candlestick, I think we were in there in the summer. And it must have been about... 39 degrees. Oh. I mean, it was so cold. Who was your, both of your family's favorite Brooklyn Dodgers? That's a good question. My, my, my mom was a little, you know, she, she liked, I think she was going for looks more than anything. She has all these old newspaper clippings and that she would pull and I would pour through when I was a kid. It was a, was it Randy Jackson? Was, no, it was Pete, Pete Reeser. Oh, oh yeah. All often wounded, injured. He, he run up the wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, right, right. And yours? Who was your? Gosh, I'm trying to think. Probably Roy Campanella. Oh, I my dad was my dad was a catcher. Oh, I I once interviewed um, Eli Wallach, a long time uh, old friend, and I interviewed him in at, in front of three or four hundred people, and at the at people applauded at the end. I said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on, Eli. I know your favorite Brooklyn Dodger was Dazzy Vance. Dazzy Vance was a Hall of Famer from the '20s, long forgotten." I yeah. said, here's the folder from the Hall of Fame with every article ever written about your boyhood hero. He went nuts. He almost cried. Uh -huh. he it. It uh -huh. First game, I think, was 1912. Every box score. Some of the stuff you can get on the, on the internet, but not this kind of stuff. The Hall of Fame has a, has a uh, folder on every player who's ever played in the big leagues. Every article. And uh -huh. they have two photographs, two uh, folders. One, an action uh, pose shot, you know, with the Yankee Stadium facade. And the other, an action shot. Everyone that ever appeared. I should point out, uh, so you've actually spoken, you lectured at the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame several times, right? Uh, well, four times, yeah. You know, now, you know, in, in addition to the many books uh, that you've, 
a couple I know I've already read, you have worked on with your brother, uh, mm -hmm. Curveballs and Screwballs, and Out of Left Field. And you also co-authored co a book, Catching Heat, the Jim Lehrer story, right? You did. And what, my brother helped on that, too. What, what made you want to do that one? the same literary agent. Oh, okay. And she said he's writing his autobiography. And I got to know Jim well, and, and he, he's a terrific guy. You know, overcame a horrible crisis. Yeah. But the other woman, cra the, the poor woman, crashed into him. He had been drinking, and he, he was lucky to get, to get off, but he didn't. He didn't do anything. My mother used to say, "You don't have to be right. You have to. You only. You don't only have to look right. You have to be right." Mm. He was right, but it didn't look right initially. But right. uh, you know, he went through a lot, and now he does a lot of community work, and and, and uh, we we've stayed in touch. And uh, you know, he played about 15 games with the Red Sox. I said, "That's the reason I'm doing the book." <laughs> whenever I whenever I see John Smoltz at, at the uh, you know who's now on uh, Baseball Network. I said, how could you go into the Hall of Fame wearing an Atlanta Braves hat? When you pitched for the Red Sox, what was it, two games, three games? Yeah, how could you? He loves, it. he loves that. I have a section. I'm going to put a section in my book. I hope the editors like leave it in. Hall of Famers you didn't know passed, who passed through Fenway. Right. Ferguson Jenkins, Andre Dawson, the uh, uh, aforementioned John Smoltz, uh, players like that. So that oh, I, George Kell, you identify him with the wow. Tigers. But no, they were Red Sox too. Louis Aparicio played his last three years, fell down in 1972 or four, and they lost a pennant, but that's another story. Let's not get into that. But uh, some of the obscure Jeffrey Lyons things that I discovered. That's with, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, first of all, that you're a graduate from Syracuse Law School. Mm -hmm. What happened there? Uh, you decided <laughs> you not want to do this? The North Vietnamese invaded South Vietnam. Uh-huh. And this was a deferment. Oh. And, and I, I'm not ashamed to say that because uh, Robert McNamara later said the whole thing was, a, the whole world was a mistake, but it was also great training. Mm. I can write a review quickly and get to the point and organize it in my mind and just do it. Uh, and it was three years and it served a great purpose. It was, it was, I wouldn't trade that, that I, I wouldn't trade, I would trade living where I was up there. They have two seasons in Syracuse. Oh, yeah. Winter and July 4th. Yeah. <laughs> But it's where cousins go to marry. But, Ooh, uh, but, yeah. it, but it served the purpose. I shouldn't. Have, that's where David Muir is from, by the way, ABC anchor. Yeah, he's yeah. from Elmira, isn't he? No, Syracuse. Oh, he is. Okay, I went to school in Ithaca, so I have that's that old Central Peter New York King, connection. Not the congressman. The CBS radio anchor was had, wrote a book called Radio in Ithaca. He started out in Ithaca. Well, actually, that was Peter King is my brother. Do you know the book? The History of Ithaca Radio. That's your brother? That's my brother, and I'm the other writer on the book. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know, Peter, we're Facebook buddies, too, and he does a marvelous job. You know, it's really six degrees of separation for all of us. So other obscure points. This one still kind of baffles me a little bit. You trained as a field goal kicker. I did. Science in their camp, their preseason camp, for what, two years or three years? Or three. 61, 62, and 63. I was in high school and two in college. So you uh, and I, trying out for the team? Not trying out for the team. I was 17 years old, and they had a guy named Pat Summerall, you know, remember him? Yeah. yeah. I went up there, and my dad knew uh, the Maris and knew uh, uh, Timmy Mara, who co-owned the team especially. And I would go up there every morning uh, during, during training camp and wait till the, till the regular session was over and the, and the special teams would come out. And I learned a bitter lesson the difference between a dedicated amateur 
and a professional. To wit, they placed the ball 30 yards out. My ball went over. Pat Summerall's went up in, in orbit. And then they put <laughs> 40 yards. And my ball went over. And Pat Summerall's was like a rocket. And they placed it at 45 yards. And I was pretty good. This is straight ahead kicking, not side, not the top. Uh, and my ball went Back over straight paint. And Pat Summerall's went. So I learned a different. It's like if you and I, go, if we go to a game and we see batting practice, those guys hit balls that we would never forget if we ever hit them. They do it all right. Because that's all they do when they're feeding their family. And I had dinner with, um, lunch with uh, Ali Sherman a few years ago. We talked about those days. He said, well, we had our eyes on you. I said, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, in my contract, I would not play uh, after November in an Eastern city. It's too cold. I don't want, Pat Summerall kicked a 50-yard field goal in a snowstorm against the Cleveland Browns. It was snowing so hard, they think it was 50 yards. The, the yard markers were obscured, but it got them into the greatest game ever played against the Baltimore Colts. Right. And, it's, and they don't use a T. I used a T in college and high school, and they don't use a T in the pros. It makes a big difference. Yeah, I just wanted to jump in and say uh, you're listening to Middle Age Warriors on the Bleep Podcast Network, and our special guest is just a wealth of knowledge and great oh, stories, Jeff Lyons. And it is just uh, su just such a joy to sit here and listen to you. I have a for a screenplay. Chris Cimino and I are captured by Hezbollah. <laughs> We're tossed into a jail in the Bekaa Valley. Uh-huh. We start they make the mistake of putting us within earshot of each other. We start going over the nineteen seventy-three Mets, seventy-four uh -huh. Mets, and I counter with the nineteen forty-six, and the next day they surrender to us. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like that. I think we've got something like there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that as soon as this interview is over. Well, I think we're gonna leave it right there today. Uh really, Jeffrey's just a wealth of information. Oh my god, he's got so much to say. Yeah, I mean, very funny antidotes, but I think it's best we, uh, this is a first for us. I think we should make this into a two-parter. What do you think, Rick? Two-parter. I like that idea. It's kind of like we've had the buffet, now we're waiting for the main course. <laughs> There's plenty more to talk about, his experience with bullfighting and Hemingway and more about his passion for the Red Sox. So uh, thanks for listening in to Middle Age Warriors today on the Believe Podcast Network. I certainly hope you enjoyed today's show as much as we did. And obviously there's more to come. Sunshine always. Hey, Chris, thanks. Have a good day, all right? And thanks as well to everybody who checks us out. And we look forward to hearing from you at some point down the road. Be good, feel good. We'll see you soon. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, preferably five stars, no begging. Uh, we're available also on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcast. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube